0: Say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt. I will hold you till the sun comes crashing down. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to the Restored Tomorrow podcast, a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in Christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness.
2: After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship, or even if it was possible to restore what was broken.
1: Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before.
2: Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more.
1: I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the
2: city
1: Welcome back to the Restored to More podcast. We have such a special guest on today's episode, Debbie Laser. Dr. Mark Laser and Debbie Laser founded Faithful and True Ministries, providing counseling services for individuals and couples. They have intensive workshops for men, women, and couples. They are widely considered life-changing by those who attend. Mark and Debbie Laser have written over 15 books on the subject of sexual addiction, including Healing the Wounds of Sexual Addiction and Shattered Vows. Her recent research project, Post-Traumatic Growth in Relationally Betrayed Women, was published in the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy. Faithful and True Ministries is widely considered one of the leading Christian sexual addiction treatment centers in the country. Welcome, Debbie Laser. Woo! <laughs> Whoa,
0: thank you, Charity. That was a
1: wonderful welcome. <laughs> Debbie, we are so excited to have
2: you on. And we know a lot about you and Mark and what you guys have done, but our listeners may or may not. And for those that are new to this whole scene, I mean, unfortunately, that could be the case with a lot of listeners. They're hearing this for the first time. I, If you wouldn't mind, we'd love to hear kind of just a quick summary Of your story and what that look has looked like
0: well i'd be glad to start back at the beginning which which was actually a lot of years ago 32 to be exact and mark and i had been married just about 15 years at that time and um, mark was brought home to my house by two of his colleagues that he was working with in a medical center he was a pastoral counselor there and uh, they came unannounced, actually, which was a surprise to me. I was home with our littlest of three children at the time, mm-hmm. and um, they basically just walked into the house. Of course, Mark led them into the house, and they said that they needed to talk to me. I, I knew by looking at their faces, it was, it was something very dire and dark. Um, I was surprised, as I said, that they hadn't called ahead to let me know that they were coming, but I invited them in and the four of us went into our living room and sat down to talk. What they quickly began to tell me in just about four or five minutes of time was that um, some of the history of what they had found out that Mark had been doing is sexual acting out. And um, they mentioned uh, the word pervert. They were calling him a pervert. They were obviously very angry with him. They were both Christians themselves, one a doctor and one a therapist. And yet um, the way that they they portrayed this whole situation was that he was just a very evil, um, unsafe man and that they were firing him from the work at their center. And then they asked me if I had any questions. Wow! So, um, it, I, I believe that I went into shock pretty quickly at that moment. Um, I had really, I have often said, I had, I had no idea that Mark was leading a sec- secret life. Um, You know, in my mind, we had a a good marriage. We had three healthy children. We were involved in community and church and schools. We were just kind of your typical all-American family. Mm -hmm. And so to be listening to them saying these things was just unimaginable to me, really. Um, I'm sure I had a lot of questions when they asked that, and yet uh, they already didn't feel safe to me at all. I know at some point I almost wanted to protect my husband because it was hard to believe that these things were true, but I told them I didn't have any questions, and would they please leave? So literally it was about five minutes, and they walked out the door, and that left Mark and me sitting opposite one another in the living room, and when I looked over at him, he was just bent over in his chair, uh, kind of ashen white and um, looking full of shame. And I, I'm sure at that moment, as I've often said, it, it wasn't really of my power, but the Holy Spirit led me over to his chair. And um, I just said something to the effect of, I I don't know what is going on here. I just have a sense." that um, there's something about this that um, is going to lead us to a better place. And I just want you to know, I want to work on this with you. Wow. Um, those, those aren't words. Typically I hear a woman responds to, and I'm, I don't say that to, you know, give myself accolades at all. I'm just saying, I think it was the Holy spirit because In me, surely was an an enormous amount of fear and sadness, and I know in in time, anger. But in that moment, that that seemed to be the truth that came out of me, and it really um, was some of the beginning of our really working in this journey together. It was within about three days—actually, I'll back up just a moment—when Mark was confronted in his office place before these two people came to bring him to me to make sure I knew the truth. They met as a board of directors and to inform him that they knew, what, knew some of his behaviors and that they were firing him. And in that firing, he's often said there was a recovering alcoholic who was a physician. And he came over to Mark and said to him, you know, Mark, I, I believe your issues with sexual acting out are not that different with mine with alcohol. And I commit to you to help find you resources and help for this. Wow. And um, he did actually. And he found the first treatment program that had been established for sex addiction, which was founded by Dr. Patrick Carnes. I don't know if your listeners or you all are so familiar with him, but he is um, considered the founder of the field of sexual addiction. And he began a treatment center here in Minneapolis, which is actually where I live now. Um, it was at the time called the Golden Valley Health Center. Wow. So um, it was true. This um, physician led Mark to that information, got him set up with intake. And within three days, he was gone and off to treatment for 30 days.
2: Wow. wow. His so it was inpatient 30-day?
0: In, inpatient. Wow. That's right. And, you know, back then, this was in the 80s, 1987, it it wasn't so uncommon to have inpatient treatment for everything. You know, insurance companies mm-hmm. were paying for a lot of that. Uh, we didn't really know if they were going to pay or not pay. I mean, and Mark was not working and I was at home with the kids. So you can imagine our financial uh, situation at the time was dire yeah. and yeah. In, incredibly scary for me. Um, and he just went forward and did the next step, which was to get to treatment. So there was a part of me that was very um relieved in that he was going someplace where maybe he would finally get help and I didn't have to look at him every day and we didn't have to talk about this and um, but being home with three small kids not knowing where our next paycheck was coming from and the bills were piling up and tax season was right around the corner all of that was um pretty frightening to me Um, so that's how we began in, in the treatment center offered a family week, they called it back then, and they still do today, those that go to inpatient. And it allowed um, spouses or uh, siblings or parents or whoever wanted to support you in treatment to come and be a part of that uh, along the way. And so Um, I did go to family week and it was incredibly eye-opening for me. Someone who had never been in counseling, really. I didn't know what the 12 steps were. I mean, I I didn't know anything about anything. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really the beginning of a a lot of education for me about addiction. They took spouses off during some of the times clients were getting help. And we were educated by their staff about addiction and Mark and I had time to meet with counselors together and separately. And it was just nonstop kind of recovery for five days for me. Wow. So that was um, really an incredible experience. And, you know, just hearing about ed- about addiction right in the front end of things was very helpful to me because one of my first thoughts was really that it was about me, mm-hmm. that for some reason I had not been enough. Even though Mark never said that and never blamed me, I took on that belief about myself very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and it and it was um, really devastating to my heart to believe that even though I thought I'd been a good wife and mom all these years, that there was something, you know, about me that was definitely not good enough. So it was helpful for me to get that education and to begin to understand that um, there was so much more to what was going on here than than what we were first being introduced to. So that's the beginning. I, I could go on clearly for a lot of that, but all I would say is for me, leaving treatment, um, we were both set up for counseling. They found counselors in our hometown for us before Mark left treatment because we were living in Iowa at the time. We weren't in Minneapolis. And so there, the counselor that Mark was with found us, our resources in Iowa, and they set us both up for appointments, and, of course, I was really surprised about that. I'm kind of like, why are you setting me up for a counseling mm. appointment? I totally. Mean, Mark is your guy.
2: Yeah, you're you like, know? I'm good. Just take him.
0: <laughs> no, Like, just get this guy fixed. This is and, his you know, problem. Uh, but I thought, well, I don't want to look oppositional in front of all these therapists. At least I knew <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> and I, so I agreed to go. And, um, you know, the beginning of work with our therapist, who was trained, by the way, by Virginia Satir, uh, was phenomenal. And I I felt right from the beginning an energy about learning and growing mm-hmm. and becoming a better person. I, I don't know wow. what I was about Maureen Graves, but I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And I it was not a place I felt like I had to go. It was a place I wanted to go. Wow. And I was quickly introduced to a women's group led by her, so I had individual counseling going, a group with women, and Mark and I were in couples counseling and a couples group. So we were literally working full time. I would say every day of the week we had something going over at that that counseling center. Wow. Wow. That's
1: amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it is amazing, and, and, you know, I don't want our listeners to be discouraged by that because it, it was a bit unusual. You know, I know today – that's very unlikely to get all of those resources set up so quickly. And, um, and yet I do believe that maybe it was part of God's plan also for us. Our crash and burn was very public and it was very devastating in so many ways. And I have a belief today now that I'm years down the road that um, sometimes I think God is planning very early on to use this crisis in our life in some way um, down the road. And, you know, to have found such a fantastic counseling center with one of the most gifted therapists, mm-hmm. I believe, in the country was just phenomenal for us. And out in the middle of nowhere, I would add, you know, I mean, we were out in the western part of Iowa. And this this is not a place where you would think you would find some of the most professional trained types of therapists, especially in sexual addiction, which was very new at the time. Yeah. So yeah. I believe God had a had a hand in mm. that. And what I also know and encourage people to think about is if you have the chance to get engaged and invest in this way, it it is worth the investment, the money and the time to set aside whatever you can do to pour into a healing journey as quickly as possible. I see it's a little bit like um, being taken to the ER when you're in a, Mm. you know, really huge crash on the road. Mm. I mean, to get treated quickly by big staff Mm. and um, get going on the healing process as quickly as possible is so helpful. So I always encourage people to try to get into that. And, you know, I keep remembering we had no money and no income and, to this day, I don't know how in the world this stuff was paid for. You know, it's mm-hmm. like some things you just don't know. They happen, and I know they charge the fee. I know somehow we got there all these days every week, and yet I, I really honestly don't remember how in the world we afforded that. So
2: I love that. That's so amazing. You know, I just hear you saying, like, I love, first of all, the whole ER analogy is so good because yes. you wouldn't be in a car crash bleeding out, dying, like, you know what, I'll wait, wait till Monday. I'll go to my normal physician's office. I know it's Friday night. I can't
1: afford it. I'll just, I can't afford it. I'll just give me some gauze.
2: Just pour some salt on this.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and yet we do see that because it, you know, it's hard to set aside the, the life we've created and we have a lot of things we are invested in most of us. And, you know, to all of a sudden set all of that aside to say, well, for now, for the next year, two or three, I'm really going to invest in this because it's so important. Yeah. And I, I know Mark always said, and I I know it's so true, whatever you put ahead of recovery, it is going to kind of tank it or postpone it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we think of the money people might spend it's probably no more than what you've spent on a a nice vacation with your family. You know what I mean? So true. um, And yet this is an investment in the rest of your life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. um, So. Wow. uh, You said so many things
2: in your story. mm -hmm. Holy moly. (laughs) Our heads are, (laughs) our heads are spinning over here. I know. Oh, I'm looking at my wife's eyebrows go like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's so good. And she's like, Oh yeah, that's good. And there's
1: so so (laughs) many things that we could like talk about in everything that you shared. And I think, um so, I mean, one of the things I think are, is just so important is the fact that you guys both were like, hey, we're going to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. Let's get help. And I guess I just want to ask like a question that I didn't have prepared beforehand. But just hearing your story, I'm like so intrigued. So mm-hmm. did Mark just... Gracefully accept, like, "Hey, I'm just going to go to a treatment center." Was he in any sort of denial? Was it it easy for him to process that he needs to go to a treatment? Mm -hmm. Because an inpatient treatment center, I mean, that's like, that's no joke. That's not just a a counseling session. You can't really have a
2: lot of denial present. You almost have to be like willing to admit, "I have a big problem here."
0: Yes, that's true because they can't make you stay at an inpatient treatment center. Mm. You know, so there does need to be some willingness and. I would say that one of the things I've experienced in being in this field is that when, when someone faces a lot of consequences, you know, in their story coming out, I think there, there can be a brokenness that comes from that, that actually serves you well, Mm. because when you're that broken I think oftentimes, uh, you know, we often call it in the 12-step movement, you know, you're at your bottom. Mm-hmm. And ideally, when you're at your bottom and totally broken, you are willing, ideally, to say, you know, God, I've tried to do this on my own. I can't. I'm sitting here at the bottom of the cross. You take over. Mm-hmm. And I really believe Mark was at that place. As I said, the discovery of his acting out was very public. The story was in our newspaper. Wow. Everyone knew he Jeez. was fired. He was part of a lot of things in our community. So wow. many, many people knew about that. And it created a lot of shame really yeah. for both of us yeah. on the front end. But today I'm, I can be really almost grateful for the consequences because it moved things quickly. Yeah. And you know what I see for people that struggle sometimes in in giving healing is that they they're acting out hasn't created a lot of consequences yet Mm. you know they haven't lost job or a lot of money they haven't lost their family they Mm. haven't been incarcerated Um, they haven't been publicly humiliated so you know when when you don't have consequences it's hard it's easier I should say to minimize and to to believe you can just do this on your own at your own pace and stay up with everything else you're involved with in life. So, you know, it's interesting, some of the things we become grateful for down mm. the road. I never would have said that in the beginning, like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah. yeah, bring it on, God. You <laughs> know, I mean, <laughs> the, wow. the trauma, bring it on. And I begin to see today, though that um you know his situation was critical he was broken beyond broken he was ready to let someone heal him i believe you know over the 10 years prior to that he attempted now you know i know that later to get help from a few places from a pastor for one who just told him that he knew he was a moral man and just not to ever do this again and be sure. And don't (laughs) tell me about it. Um, you know, that in that advice 10 years before he actually crashed was not good advice. And, and I'm sure the man was well-meaning and yet not trained, no doubt in the field and knowing how to manage that. So, but by the time the crash and burn happened, I I believe Mark was really tired from, Mm living the secret life and the life of hypocrisy that i know was killing him on the inside too and so in a way coming out as hard as that was with the truth i think provided a a relief for him even though you know it obviously devastated me because i i was new to all the information he'd been living with it for years but it was all new to me so
2: couldn't agree more what you said there debbie i mean Mm -hmm. i think what happened for charity and i is the same thing. I, You know, there was a lot of consequences in my life mm-hmm. that made mm-hmm. me go, I have to change. And if I don't change, my wife's okay. going to walk out with our oldest and being pregnant with our second. And yeah. there was a, just a lot of things, actually, a lot of consequences in our life. And mm-hmm. I agree that I hadn't really had a lot of consequences. You know, and I love what you said yeah. too about people being well-meaning but untrained. That's a big mm-hmm. deal because they do mean well. But because yeah. they're untrained, they don't know how to correctly give advice, and to even understand, maybe they want to, but they just can't understand what's going on. I had a lot of well-meaning people, and I sought out help from literally handfuls of people along this journey over the past, whatever it's been, 15, 16 years, but unfortunately, the well-meaning people were not trained.
1: And you know what's so interesting about what we're talking about is there is consequences, but if you're not educated on what's happening to your brain then you're not really? going to understand the consequences because there are it's it's just not physical consequences like if you're in an accident right you're mm-hmm. going to get help because you're literally physically b- bleeding outside of your body but right. and so that's when people will get help where the other perspective is we think that we don't need help that there hasn't been physical consequences but once you get educated you realize that there's so many consequences and the damage that addiction has done, right? And and the damage mm-hmm. that um, the, the betrayed perspective has gone through from trauma is they are bleeding from the inside out. And you mm-hmm. talk about that in your book, Shattered Vows. Uh, I, I would love for you to share more about this, but you talk about how you were in the best shape of your life and then all of a sudden you experienced a TIA, a short-lived stroke of sort, and your body was screaming out to yourself in pain. Like you knew something was wrong, and I would love for you to just expand on how there are severe symptoms from all the pain that it can cause you if you if you shove it deep down. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point, Charity. Because I I was talking about the uh, external. Consequences, but you're right there there are many internal consequences when we're not living life rightly, yeah, and also when we are not able to live life in the truth, yeah, mm. and my part of that was not being able to live life in truth because Mark wasn't sharing his secret life with me, mm. but one month before uh the the public crash and burn, we always call it crash and burn, mm. everybody has their own names, explosion, mm. whatever um. <laughs> one month before that, I I woke up one morning and realized the whole right side of my body wasn't moving. Mm. And so my leg wasn't moving, my arm wasn't moving. I tried to call out to Mark, he was up already, actually getting ready to go out of town to speak someplace. Um, and I realized I couldn't even talk correctly, because my mouth was also paralyzed. So wow. Um, It was a very scary moment, and as I said, I really at that time didn't have any physical ailments to my knowledge, and I was in good physical shape playing sports and doing all kinds of things, and so um, it was a real surprise to me, but uh, what happened was I went to the ER and um, was admitted there, and they started running very quickly, all kinds of tests, you know, Mm. all I kept hearing was stat, 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 which I knew that meant (laughs) it must be urgent. Um, I was starting to quickly regain a little bit of that feeling, which is why it's called a TIA. It's a transient ischemic attack, Mm. meaning it presents like a stroke, but it passes through your body and you eventually regain the things that look like you have lost. So you know, within a few hours, I was able to talk and I was able to walk. And so that was encouraging that things were getting better. But all that to say, I spent three days in the hospital wow. with all kinds of neurological and heart assessments, and they really were not able to find anything. Um, they sent me home with a diagnosis of a heart prolapse, which is like a flappy heart valve. But the truth is, it's never been detected ever since. in wow. the, any, you know, physical I've had, ever since has never been able to detect that. And then when the information came out about Mark's life and I, I began to put some things together for myself and learn about how the body holds pain, I I really began to believe that while I didn't know intellectually what was going on, my body did perceive what was going on. Wow. And this is how I really believe, and I teach so much about this today when I counsel is how the Holy Spirit is working within Mm -hmm. all of us because I do know we're all very intuitive human beings and we use words like, oh, my intuition said this or Mm -hmm. my gut said that or a red flag showed up about this. But when I really look at it, I think all of that is about the spirit within us trying to help us live in the truth. Mm -hmm. And so, when we start to learn how to pay more attention to that and to take it seriously, I think it, you know, helps us to know what our next steps are. Um, but I'm getting a little sidetracked at the moment about the story is just that I, I did have a belief that somehow, some way, my my physical condition was related to somehow not having all information you know, over these years of being with Mark. And I would say in terms of his consequences internally, um, he struggled with migraine headaches really severely in the first years of our marriage. And, you know, interestingly enough, as we both got help and began to work on expressing our emotions and our thoughts in our groups and in our counseling, what we found is that we we both got so much healthier. I mean, I never had any after effects of this TIA Mark's headache started to go away. Um, and I find that with clients I work with too, that when we're dealing with our emotional and spiritual sides of things, uh, generally speaking, our bodies start getting a lot healthier too. Mm -hmm. So I do know that pain is held within, we either hold it inside our bodies and, um, or we emit it, and it kind of leaks out you know onto uh, other people. we're irritable, we're yelling at kids yeah. too much, we're doing something, um, but the pain does do something i I know that for yeah. sure, and all all the studies about psychosomatic medicine, of course. Will validate the truths of this too, so um, I, I think it's something that really is worth looking at when we're talking about an addiction and how it impacts us as human beings. It's not, it's not a silent, I'll just not talk about this and it'll go away kind of situation. It's a silent killer in a lot of different ways.
2: I think that's so. It's so incredible to talk about that because people experience that. You know even in the circles of guys that I talk to we talk about listening to our bodies right and we know that the holy spirit like you said is is constantly trying to make us aware of things in the in the unknown realm right and yes and I hear you saying that you know if we you did a perfect segue into the into the restoration process and the healing process and and I think one thing that I saw with charity was that she was a roller coaster of emotions Mm -hmm. during this process and what's crazy is even though I was getting more and more sober it like and I think it's hard for the guys to understand what's going on in the woman because we're like wait I just brought home a chip or it's been 30 days or it's been 60 days or it's been 90 days and and it's it's so wild because you know that our brains are going through a reset period right the longer that we go without feeding an addiction we're now thinking more clearly and we're getting more and more sober, and we are almost like excited about what we're experiencing. To some degree, it's still hard, but it is exciting. Yeah. There's a factor there. But then I remember coming home, be like, Charity, why aren't you excited? Like, why aren't you like pumped? And and she's like, one day she's just crying, just nonstop crying. And I'm like, do you not want me to bring home chips anymore? Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? And you yeah. talk about this in shattered vows, how you were a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah even during the process where he's getting help i would love for you to share how that's normal and then also just to guys like you know what is going on <laughs>
0: right yes yeah well i think two things um when you talk about this the first is just the roller coaster in general of our emotions when um we first entered into this journey and When you think about it, one of the things we're all doing all the time is medicating emotions in some way. Mm. You know, I don't think there's anybody on the earth that hasn't medicate or exit or avoid emotions. So while we know that sexual addiction, sexual acting out is one of the ways that a person medicates emotions. In other words, those behaviors tend to help you not have to think about stress or rejection or loneliness or fear or whatever it is. Um, In the same way, we wives have accumulated some ways that we medicate our emotions too. Um, those could be things like um, emotionally eating. I think a lot of people can connect to emotional eating. We have favored foods when we're feeling down or sad or whatever that we know are, are pick-me-ups for ourselves. Uh, some of us are kind of workaholics or busyaholics, I would call it, and yep. that we we can stay busy with tons of things. And especially if we're moms with several children, it's very easy to use our parenting role mm. as an escape for dealing with things that we're struggling with with our spouse mm. or others in the world. Um, some of us use alcohol, some use drugs, some use television, sports, hobbies. I mean, you name it, There there are endless amounts of behaviors or substances that we use to medicate emotions. So what I would say is when I see a wife in the early stage of recovery, being up and down with emotions, one day hopeful, one day excruciatingly sad or feeling depressed or scared out of her mind or whatever. It says to me that in some ways she is, she is abandoning some of those abilities to medicate all these emotions, to just let them be what they are. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Because if we continue to use things to medicate our emotions, we're going to End up showing up being rather stable all the time. We look the same all the time. We sound the same all the time. <laughs> we have a steady, uh, you know, uh, uh, affect when we're out in the world. And that's not really true mm-hmm. with what's going yeah. on in our life. So, um, what gets hard though is this roller coaster of emotions can get pretty high and pretty low because. I think for most of us, we're not used to being authentic with our emotions. Yeah. And so when we finally find a place where we can do that, whether it's in our counseling session or in our group with other women or you with men, uh, and we find that to be a safe place, then we're more willing to let the, the reality and the congruency of our emotions show up. And in sometimes we're, we're kind of making up for lost time when we didn't let that happen. So I can remember, for instance, you know, being sadder than sad about stuff and angrier than angry. And like, you know, even surprising myself, like, wow, I didn't even know I had it within me to sound or look this angry at times. But I think in some ways, uh, because of my own belief system and my ways of medicating emotions, I would never have let myself get to a place of looking or sounding like that prior to recovery. So showing up with emotions that are all over the place. I always say it's a good first step in allowing yourself to work on being authentic. Mm. The second part of what you were talking about, Clinton, about the emotions that are, are kind of surprising when a husband is bringing home good news about sobriety yeah. yeah. or chips and why, why it's so confusing when a wife can't meet you there and be excited for you and affirm you in that place And I would say that one of some of the things I've learned about that is that, first of all, I think wives worry that if they affirm too early on and too quickly, that would mean to you that you might not have to take this all so seriously hmm. as she would hope you would. Sure. And so there, there's a conflict in the, in the mind about, I, I just, you know, even though like, I'm glad I'm seeing that I'm, I'm not, I'm sure not going to say anything yet because after all, it's only two weeks or a month. Or yeah, totally. <laughs> and I think building trust takes a lot longer than that. So Mm -hmm. words and chips in these early days are, are still kind of cheap. I say to a Mm. wife who wants to build trust and know that you are really changing behaviors for a lifetime. Mm. And so I think that's part of it. I think also um, we just know that it's uh, given her level of devastation yet and an inability to be, heard for her pain, which can often happen if you're starting to do well on your side of the thing. I think it's still kind of an indication to her that what what she really needs is just for you to keep listening to her pain and understanding mm-hmm. how hard it is, not talk about you and how well you're doing mm-hmm. and all of this, because there's still such a huge need to be felt and heard yes. about this trauma. So. You know, I know we encourage men at this point to understand that there will hopefully be a time when we can help women engage in the both and, as we say. Mm. In other words, it's possible to still encourage you and affirm you for the good things you're doing and to say, this doesn't mean that I'm ready to totally trust you again Mm -hmm. or that we're all good to go and we don't need to talk about this anymore or any of those other beliefs. So it's a both and, but it takes a while to help someone think in the terms of the both and Mm -hmm. rather than all or nothing. So uh, Mm -hmm. I know Mark always encouraged the men to use their male community for that kind of support early yeah. on, you know, don't even expect that your wife would be one who could give you that kind of encouragement early in these days, but go to the men in your environment and, and they can be grateful for you. And it doesn't mean mm. in some at some point your wife hopefully will be able to join you in that. I think that's men so need good. to hear that. Yeah. I think I yeah. hope, I
2: hope yeah. all men really can get there because that's a big deal. And we yeah. look at our wives yeah. like you yeah. should be excited for us when in reality, yeah. You have to go to other people for at least a while
0: until they are (laughs) at a place. I just thought of one more thing, too, is that I, I hear a lot of women saying, why should I get excited about that? He should have never done it in the first place. Yep. <laughs> so yes. I think that's a belief that's very yep. prevalent. You know, so I'm supposed to thank him for something I, mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> ideally he would have never even done. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, thank
2: you for not okay. cheating on me for the past thirty days. I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. What <laughs> yeah, exactly? Exactly.
0: So um, but I, I hear your pain, Clinton and others and other husbands, too, because I know it's a very big deal to work on sobriety. And in, and it is important to be affirmed in that place. And therefore, to find people who can do that for you mm. is very important for your recovery, too. And thankfully, more. as someone who's further along myself, I can do that for other men mm. because I know that's true. But when I'm the one that's been hurt and I'm still early on in my own recovery, that's not so easy to do. Yep. So
1: good. Since we're on the topic of uh, just the healing journey and process, uh, you share in Shattered Vows the difference between a slip and a relapse. Would you mind expanding on that and just talking to us about what that looks like? Sure.
0: Um, we often talk about a slip, and this isn't just our language, it's faithful and true, but, you know, comes out of the 12-step um, work, is that it's a short lapse in progress, mm-hmm. which could mean, you know, if someone has been a prolific um, engager in pornography and masturbation or or something that maybe one time they were lured back in to turn it on their computer and they watched it for a minute and then quickly shut it down. You know, so it's like they're on the edges of getting back into some behaviors, but are, they catch themselves or they report into their accountability team um, and are able to make the changes and get back, you know, on the road of recovery. Mm. A relapse, on the other hand, would be a prolonged period of time when you've really re-entered old behaviors, kind of lock, stock and barrel, Mm -hmm. and um, are engaging in that old lifestyle. It would include, you know, in terms of our definition of sobriety, lying perhaps to your spouse, not telling the whole truth, um, engaging if, you know, affairs of some kind of emotional or physical were part of your you're um, acting out that maybe you've reengaged with a, a person on the internet or at a workplace or something that you're also looking at a pornography again and masturbating. So it's, it is like a full return to your life before. Um, so there, there are some major concerns either way, obviously, but they are different. Mm. And um, one generally the relapse is is requiring someone to have done something for a fairly longer period of time, many months, perhaps. We have had several clients who have relapsed and really been in that place for years, unbeknownst to members of their group and counselors that are working with them. So it can be, you know, quite extreme in some cases.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think, you know, I, I, I just love that you shared about relapse in your book because I mean, Clint, you always say relapse doesn't have to. What what do you always say? Like relapse doesn't have to be a part, you know. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I was told. I was told multiple times, like you know, relapse doesn't have to be a part of recovery. You know, a part of restoration. It most likely will be, and not Mm -hmm. that. And and that's just like statistically, it's very. My my recent therapist was saying there's a very high probability that there can be and will be relapse in a restoration process, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in there. There's no justification mm-hmm. of it. And I think that just kind of mm-hmm. made me, it made me hopeful that I didn't have to relapse, but if it did happen that it, we we could work through it. And I love what you For said sure. because, you know, I, I think too, you know, and you know this, there's so much shame um, coming from the person who's, who really struggles with addiction and there's this hook that we've had our whole life. And so, it's, I, at least for me, it was easy not to see the progress. It was, it was, you know, even though come from that, from your definition, it would have been a slip. It's easy to go, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a failure. I'm such a bad husband. I'm such a bad dad. I, I went there again. And and I think what I needed was people like what you said to remind me, hey, Clint, look at the severity of what you did versus what you used to do. Look at, look at what you used to fill your whole day with. And the fact that you opened up, the the moment afterward and you called people and you started going to groups right away and you opened up with this and you told charity and there's there was like there's a lot of progress Mm. in this moment and Mm -hmm. i think it's sometimes hard for both people to see that because Mm -hmm. she's hurt and he is still full of shame from the action
1: but every time that it did happen there was always room for more growth and communication for both of us because every time maybe there was a slip or a relapse or whatnot, it allowed a conversation for us to talk about, okay, hey, what, you know, what led up to that? What are more, you know, maybe different boundaries that need to be in place or whatever it may be, but it allowed this open communication and to to dive deeper into things that maybe we had missed or we didn't talk about or even Clinton talked about with his therapist and and uh, it was just I I just appreciated you sharing that in your book because I don't think a lot of people talk about that. And when you are in it, you're like, hey, from the betrayed side, you're like, hey, is this normal? Like, you don't even know. Mm -hmm. You're like, I thought they were just supposed to be perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's not an easy topic to talk about because I don't think anybody wants to admit that this is going to happen or could happen. But I think it's important to talk about it so that you are just prepared for if it does, how you're going to handle that, uh, individually and as a couple, mm. mm-hmm.
0: I think that's so true, Charity. And <clears throat> I would just add that at um, our center, we hold the standards high for men that come. <clears throat> in in other words, letting them know we we truly believe it's possible to be sober from the day they leave our workshops um, for the rest of their life. Yeah, and. You know, what I hear, and I actually don't do a lot of this going online and reading what everybody's saying, but I hear through my clients that there's not a lot of hope when they do that sort of thing because they're led to believe that it's expected that there will be slips and relapse mm-hmm. in a person's program. Now, it's interesting to hear you talk about a Clinton, and that it can be a good thing to have some expectation of that and to know it maybe is somewhat normal for someone so that you don't head into all of the shame on the other hand I wonder if it's helpful when the standard isn't held high because you know it just allows you to to work a good enough program not a great program and I think my fear is like what you talk about charity for for wives a lot of times they do lose hope when there's a slip or especially if there's a relapse because they don't want to live a life with somebody who's kind of slipping and sliding around. You know, that's not their ideal of a great relationship. So a lot of times when you were saying there's always something we can learn that is so true. And that's generally what I'm talking to a wife about when she's devastated after hearing about a slip. Yeah. Mm. Um, And I think what's important is to go someplace to get the help to know what we've always said, is missing from someone's program so that they're slipping and sliding. Yes. Because our belief is there is always something we can find and to help them to um, get after those elements of recovery that maybe haven't been a part of their program so far, which has opened the door for still having struggles. Some of those would be um, having a greater community of men who are walking in this journey with you. You know, many, many people recovering have just a therapist, Mm. period, or maybe one accountability partner, you know, or something like that. Um, Our belief in working with men is that they need much more of a community. And Mark always spoke to the men coming out of our workshops that he wanted them to have 10 other men who could be accountability partners for them because what if one's on a vacation or one's really Mm -hmm. sick and can't pick up the phone or it's too late at night and whatever, you know, you need, you need a whole list of people who can be there for you when you need them now. Uh, So that's one thing. Another thing is working on old trauma. We find that um, a lot of people, especially if the majority of how they're recovering is in support groups and not so much in in in-depth counseling they are perhaps not getting the help to look at old trauma Mm. and how that has impacted their life. And that's extremely important Mm. because it leads one to understand root causes of their behavior and that, you know, recovering only with stopping behaviors but not understanding root causes uh, sets one up, we know, for future slipping and relapse.
2: Couldn't agree more. You know, I've heard so many different people say (laughs) that, you know, using s- sexual means to cope is—you know—the sexual addiction can even be a symptom of really root causes going on. But it, oh, yeah. if we—and I think what you said is so crucial for for people to hear. And I know Charity even talks about this too with trauma-related things. You know, sometimes there's deeper things on the on the on the betrayed side as well. <laughs> and I, I couldn't attest that more. I think the only reason—the only reason I know for me—I have. The the sobriety I do today and the and the relationship I do today is because I I had people around me that encouraged me to really go man what caused you to use pornography all those years you know what caused mm-hmm. you to feel the need to manipulate situations why did you why, when did you think you not didn't weren't able to learn how to cope with emotional highs and lows and why do you think there's a lack of intimacy in your life and so the more I was able to work on those things it really changed the whole, almost the whole look at pornography and, and the whole perspective, because it wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, I actually w- wanted to learn how to process things healthily. You know, mm-hmm. I I wanted yeah. to be intimate, sounds weird, but intimate with other men, you know, and, and just to mm-hmm. learn how to be loved and learn how to be accepted. And once those things took place, it was almost like, I don't, I don't need this anymore in my life. And
0: Exactly. Right. And so you're, Your example is perfect of one who has learned how to put healthy um, solutions rather than unhealthy solutions Mm -hmm. to legitimate needs and desires in your life. But if you don't do the exploring of what that is and figure out what the associations are for the behaviors that you're using to somehow medicate or, or give you the desire of your heart at that time, um, if you don't break apart that association and put a healthy solution with the the need of the soul, then you'll tend to want to keep using the unhealthy solution, which you know, can be the pornography or masturbation. You, so, you know, I'd love you to
2: talk about this for a minute because I think yeah. there be so many couples. They learn about this, and the wife may learn about it. The husband maybe has some kind of um, undoing, where his wife now knows about this, but there is still so much shame, and people are trying to be hidden about this, you know, what would you say to somebody who is, you know, I, I get it, man. People are on this podcast and there could be a wife listening right now. And her husband does not know she's listening to this, right? Because she doesn't know where else to go, but she's listening to this and she's hoping, or the guy maybe found our podcast and is listening to this. And he's like, man, do I tell her? Like, do I tell people? And you know, what would you say to somebody who is so, they know they need help. They know they need to find a group of people like you're saying to help them, but they're covered in fear and shame. What would you say to them?
0: I would just say that, you know, silence is the greatest enemy of health Mm. for any of us. And shame comes from a, a need to hide something that we believe we've either done wrong or we are wrong because of it. And we carry shame about our personhood that we are inadequate. We're unworthy because of this. Mm. And, you know, our journey is going to involve a huge spiritual element, which is another reason why there could be slipping and sliding, by the way. Mm. Because Mm. if we aren't able to connect to our spiritual journey of knowing at the core of who we are, Mm. we are a treasure. We're a beloved child Mm. of God, that he is there for us. He wants good things for us that he forgives us for things, that he wants to direct us to a better life. If we can't live in that place, and many can't because of experiences in their life that led them to different beliefs about that, about their worthiness and, in their, um, and their well-being. So if we can't connect to the truths about that, it will lead us to carry shame about any number of things. And shame is a great destroyer of your life, really, because once you need to hide that, then it's going to start requiring lying and hiding about things. And that just perpetuates another lie and another lie. And it gets easier and easier to do it, of course, the more you do it. And pretty soon you're leading a life that's totally incongruent with the person you want to be. Mm. It takes great courage to take that first step to be able to tell someone the truth. Mm. And I I think if I were trying to encourage someone about this, it would be to think about who is the safest person you can think of in your life and to go to that person. Um, A safe person is not gonna judge you. They're not gonna spiritualize your behaviors. They're not gonna tell you what to do. They're not gonna shame you. They're not gonna minimize this. They're gonna be there and be a good listener and just as that man was for Mark in the board of directors, he said, "I think this is no different than my issues mm. with alcohol, and I want to help you get help." Mm. Um, that's a person who um, understands that this is not all about who you are, and mm. it's not. You know, our behaviors are not who we are; they're a part of our, be- our, our um, of our of our desire to cope with something in life, but our behaviors are always speaking to us about certain things we're needing. Mm. When when we can voice what our needs are and we can identify safe ways to get those needs met, healthy ways to get them met, we start really leading a life of well-being and joy. Mm. When we have been led to choosing unhealthy things to get those things met, then we start getting into this trouble of hiding and feeling shameful and living in isolating, isolation and trying to cure ourselves, so to speak, without anybody else's help because we don't want to tell anybody else. But then again, we're not walking a life of faith where God continues to ask us to let him be there for us. I don't want you to be so full of pride and self-sufficiency that you think you can get yourself out of these places by yourself. Mm. So it really requires a spiritual journey to a place where you can work on also some of the distorted, you know, faith. Beliefs that you carry, which many do, you know they're confused about what they can talk about and what they can do because they've been very judged in that arena too in their life. So I think I'm getting off on a lot of different tangents. No, that was great. Let <laughs> me just say, courage. It takes a lot of courage to enter into this journey, especially if you haven't been forced into it because of consequences. Mm. And that's that's why I say a lot of times for men to enter it when you haven't lost a whole ton of stuff in your life. Man, I, I, hats off to you all, you know, mm. because that takes way more courage than the person who's dumped out on the street with all these consequences. And like, well, yeah, makes sense. You need help now, <laughs> but the person yeah. who admits it and, and enters into it on their own, now that's a person
1: of great courage. <laughs> yep, that was amazing. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I, what I hear you saying is just to have courage and to. It's scary, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. your story to the light, but when it's in the light, then God can do something for greatness and, Mm -hmm. and you surrender it when you bring it to light. But when we hide it, there's so much shame and I feel like it's in the enemy's hands and it's just in darkness and there's nothing good there. But if we're able to come with our story to the light, then we're able to get the proper healing that we need as well. Ind- individually mm-hmm. together as a couple. And I think that's where you're going to get lasting change and growth is when you do that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. There's a saying, I don't know where it comes from, but when you shed, you shed your shame and you share it mm-hmm. with others. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really something any of us can do when we're just sitting at home, reading a book or even praying by ourselves to God. I mean, I really believe that's why these communities of men and women that we want to continue to develop for our clients is the place where they start shedding the shame because Mm. they're talking about everything, you know, that creates shame for them or fear or anger or whatever it is. Um, And that's the place where they begin to realize these are safe people who get it because they're there too. And they feel these same feelings and they have these same concerns, but sharing it in there slowly slowly sheds it i personally think one of the hardest things about saying this and and i don't want to minimize how hard this is because i do know today and as i said in the beginning i'm 32 years down the road i know without a doubt that god uses our pain for purpose and we'll Mm. talk more about this next time we get together um but i'll tell you in the beginning that didn't happen for a while quite a while and you know, without a faith journey in this, I, I think it's real easy to say, "Well, where is this great God you talk about?" You know, mm. we're sitting here, we're broke. Uh, you know, we're being made fun of. People are judging us. I lost my job. Whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, so if God is so great, where, you know, why isn't He showing up here? But I, what I know is sometimes it takes time. Mm. He doesn't always work that fast, and um, sometimes it's years. Mm. And what I know, I know though, is that He shows up. Mm and what i have to say maybe it's kind of an ending thing for us today but you know as as your listeners may or may not know mark passed away about this time last year and what i am glad that i know god will work for good in this pain mm. i don't know quite yet what that's going to look like and many days are not all that joyful and full of Of hope. And yet I do live by that. And I, and I know it will look different in time. So that's the post-dramatic growth. I really want to talk about in terms of the sexual addiction journey. And the truth is it's, it's part of all of our journeys and any of the trials and adversities we face in life. And I guess that's one of the pleasures of getting older and having faced many more of them other than just sexual addiction is Those truths I've learned about who God is and how he shows up um, have been consistent through all of those.
2: Debbie, thank you so much. You have said so many things today that are going to make people think that I hope spur people to action, Mm. that I hope uh, encourage people to get the healing that is out there. You and Mark have done so much good work God has used you mightily and I believe He is not done mm-hmm. and at all. I mean He's gonna He's gonna help people through you guys long yes. after you're not here anymore. <laughs> you guys are gonna have a legacy yeah. that definitely outlives you. Yeah. And yeah. I I know right now our listeners are going, Oh my gosh, did she say there's a part two? We didn't even tell them that and they're excited. Oh, yeah,
0: it so it's and great. Maybe that isn't
2: really true. No it oh, is. Oh, it's, <laughs> happening. Oh, it's for oh, sure it's happening. happening. <laughs> we cannot wait. Yeah, we are so yeah. pumped. And and today was great because you got to just Relate, you know, you just related and you definitely hit on some things that were so educational to our listeners. And in our next time with you, we're going to go over what that looks like for having post traumatic growth and that belief. We're going to talk about the 15 steps to rebuilding intimacy and we're going to talk about how to really use your pain for a greater purpose. So Debbie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I am so excited. I mean, to talk again soon and I hope that everybody tunes in again next time when we have you on the show.
1: Yes. Well, thank thank you. you. You're a
0: delightful couple, just mm-hmm. a delightful couple. So I've uh, really enjoyed talking with you guys. You're very easy to talk with and you have great questions too. So I uh, look forward to another time. Thanks again. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey
1: everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the ask us anything page at restoredTomore.com. Also quick note, All the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website.